Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. And as I was saying last segment, God has something more for us. We can confidently say that until we, of course, are fully purged of disordered self-love and uh, standing before him face to face. So we can always say God has something more for us. And that was certainly true in the life of Saul of Tarsus. Uh, We know him as St. Paul, Paul the Apostle. Uh, One of the most important figures of the early church. Uh, He spread the teaching of Jesus uh, throughout the Mediterranean world, founded several Christian communities in Asia Minor, in Europe from the mid-30s to the mid-50s uh, A.D. Today we celebrate the conversion of St. Paul, which is itself a little bit unusual. We'll get back to that in a few minutes here. But with me to celebrate the conversion of St. Paul is Steve Ray. Steve uh, is a, again, known well by all of you as a, a man who leads pilgrimage to the Holy Land, to Rome. Uh, in fact, he and I went uh, on pilgrimage on the footsteps of St. Paul a few years ago. Steve converted to the Catholic faith in 1994, uh, wrote the book Crossing the Tiber, Then Upon This Rock, which was a apologetic defending the papacy, and he's written many since. He's the host and producer of the Footprints of God DVD series and has been to the Holy Land more than 180 times now. Well, Steve, good to have you again. Well, thank you, Alan. You always have such great bumper music. I I would just listen to your show for the bumper music. Oh, thank you. <laughs> it's good to be with you. Yeah, you know the news is, by the way, that I'm starting to I'm going to begin producing my own bumper music soon. Well, good for you. Actually, You're a musician. Yeah, you ought to. I've been wanting to do it for years, and I think I finally figured out a way to do it conveniently enough, and so not too time consuming. Anyways, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about St. Paul. Why do we have the feast on the conversion of St. Paul? Normally, you know, we celebrate saint days uh, on their death. The conversion of St. Paul, though, is not on his, it doesn't celebrate his death. What is it? Well, the church is so smart. It says, what should we keep in front of the eyes of our children? And Mother Church says this. What should we keep in the, to remind our children of the, child, the children? And this is such a momentous event. I think it's the only conversion uh, such like this in the calendar of the church's year. But it's because it was such a momentous occasion. We can say that it was had a huge impact on Christianity in the church, but it's a whole lot bigger than that. This had world impact. Yeah. He changed yeah. the world. And if you look at the uh, whole Western world, it's based on a Christian ideal, on yeah. Christianity and scriptures. And Paul wrote half of the books in the New Testament, right. not half the words, but half of the books are written by him. He went out and suffered and was beaten and shipwrecked and fearlessly brought the gospel and the truth of Christianity all over the Roman Empire at the time. And that was so momentous and so earth-shattering, such an important event that the church says we need to remember this every year. And also to give, I think, an ideal for other people who want to convert. Yeah, yeah, very good. Uh, Have you been, well, you have been, I know that, you've been to Syria. Do you know the exact place of the conversion? Yeah, I wept there, Al. I've been there several times, and when we filmed our our, uh, documentary, Paul Contending for the Faith, we took our film crew there. We had to drive from uh, Israel through Jordan and up uh, into Syria and Damascus. And I, the first thing I want to see is the place where his conversion take, took place. And so we found on this old dusty road 
that curve in the road and right as you get it's like you could just see Saul of Tarsus coming along all this way from Jerusalem it's probably 150 miles and he's coming to the last bend in the road and you can look down and down in the valley below is the beautiful city of Damascus because you're looking at it from above about nine miles um, west of it and there's the beautiful city of Damascus and I remember that I wore my sandals because I wanted to be just like relate to him as much as I could through this whole filming in six countries. And I remember stopping there and standing in the dusty road, looking at Damascus. And I looked up at the sky too. And I started to weep. I really did. Um, my good wife just stood there with her arm around me. She understands <laughs> me. <laughs> so, And I, I just wept because I thought about what happened there. And in that very place, 2000 years ago, a voice was heard and a, the sky lit up more than from the sun and the word solace solace why do you persecute me was heard and it was such a momentous event that Saul of Tarsus who was a strong able Pharisee of Pharisees a Hebrew of Hebrews from the city of Tarsus no small city and he goes on and according to the law I was found blameless and here he is going up breathing threats of murder and and all of a sudden he gets knocked down. And uh, in that place, Al, on that side of that road there, the Christians there in Syria have built a little abbey. It's not a big thing, um, a small one. It's called the Abbey of St. Paul's Vision, hmm. where they commemorate his his vision there of Jesus in the, in the heavens. Let's talk a little bit about the content uh, of that vision. Uh, it's remarkable in as much as Paul is going after— uh, the followers of Jesus, and yet the, in the vision, he hears, uh, sees this bright light, and he hears, why are you persecuting me? I really love um, being in a talk and telling about uh, Paul's conversion, and I always say, and then Jesus said, Solace, Solace, why do you persecute my church? <laughs> right, and right. I wait to see how long it takes people to react. Yeah, that's good. And, they, and, and you know, most of the time they don't. Yeah, they don't react. And I said, "Is that what Jesus said?" And they'll go. Oh, they look at each other, and I says, "Come on, you can't take everything I say for a hundred percent. You got to argue with me once in a while." So uh, I said, "He didn't say that, did he? He said, solace, solace, why do you persecute me?' And what a strange thing! Jesus has already ascended into heaven, and he's in the up in the heaven at the right hand of God. What's Paul, Saul of Tarsus, going to do? Reach up through the clouds, grab Jesus, pull him down, and start punching him? What's he going to do? See, now in the movie." that we made at that point in the movie uh we had it planned to do this as i'm describing this janet my wife walks up and she stomps on my foot it just goes bam stomps on my foot and the camera of course caught it very nice you know very appropriately (laughs) and i said ouch and then i looked at the camera and i said did you notice what just happened it was my foot that got stomped on my foot hurts but it was my head that yelled ouch yeah Yeah. my foot didn't yell ouch my head yelled ouch And what we understand when we look at Paul's writings and the whole of the New Testament, that we are 
have been grafted into Christ. We are part of the mystical body of Christ. Very mysterious, very spiritual. That can meditate on this your whole yeah, lifetime. Yeah. What does it mean to be the mystical body of Christ? And even the readings we had at Mass not long ago, I think it was last Sunday, was we, not all of us are feet, not all of us are ears, not all of us are eyes, but we all work together in this beautiful mystical body of Christ. And who's the head? Christ is the head. When we suffer, the head yells, ouch. The head also suffers with the body. So this is Paul. And in fact, I've come to the conclusion that all of Paul's theology grows out of that one yeah. simple question. Yeah. Um, why would he repeat uh, Saul's name twice? Well, when my kids were naughty or when something was going wrong, I'd say, Emily, Emily. <laughs> I'd never say it once. I'd always say it once. And when my mother yelled my name with my middle name included, I knew I was in trouble. Right. But when you when you emphasize something and you say it twice, even Jesus would say, verily, verily, not just truly or verily. He'd say, verily, verily, and then it catches your attention. But I think it was a an emphasis. It was mm-hmm. a, you better pay attention to this, buddy. Yeah. I'm calling out your name twice, yeah. so you better listen to what I got to say, and I'm going to ask you something. This is a big moment of your life, so listen up. I think that's the the emphasis of it all. I want to come back to the, the this uh, union between Christ and His Church in just a few minutes, but uh, let me get another historical question uh, before you, and that is, a lot of the art uh, of St. Paul's conversion has him on a horse or falling from a horse or having fallen from a horse. Uh, how was he traveling? Well, we don't know. We're not told. And I think that most most people, when they read this, they automatically see him falling off a horse. And I like to say, actually, that this very proud man was knocked off his high horse. You know, it's kind of a (laughs) clever uh, English saying. Uh, There's argument over it because rabbis rode uh, donkeys or mules. And this horses were for the military. We know that when Paul was taken from Jerusalem to Caesarea Maritime to protect him, he, it was the, sol- the Roman soldiers that had, I think it was 200 horsemen that took him, or a, really a huge number of horsemen. But I would have to say that it's about 150 miles or so, make, give or take a little, and it would have been hot, and it's a long, rugged journey. And, I, and it was a quasi-military uh, campaign. Yeah. He took with letters from Jerusalem, yeah. and he had a army with him. He had soldiers or guards, whatever they were, with him. I don't think they would have walked. I, I would have thought that possibly they would have horses. So I've always contended that Paul was on a horse. And when we filmed our movie, I was on a horse galloping while I'm explaining this, and I, I had to fall off the horse 10 times to get all the footage right, and I was really sore the next day. I but I was raised with horses, so I kind of knew how to fall off a horse. But I, I contend that he was on a horse because it was at least a quasi-military campaign, yeah, yeah. and uh, under those circumstances, people rode horses. Um, back to this question of the union of Christ and his church. That is That is... Uh, really revealed to Paul uh, at the time of the vision, and that becomes really his significant contribution to the theology of the New Testament. Um, so I, I I agree with you. I think that his the source of Paul's theology is found in this vision. It's like the seed, and that seed grows. Why? Because the words of God are 
unfathomable. You can't, they're eternal. They're all powerful words. And in the two books are called Twin Epistles of Paul, Ephesians and Colossians. You get read these together. In fact, he told each one to read the other one. They're to be read together because Ephesians is all about the body of Christ. Colossians is all about the headship of Christ. And in those, just for example, it says in Christ, 32 times in Ephesians. That's 21 times out of 95 verses in Colossians. So oh, it's just, there's no other book that has that kind of in Christ, in him, him, yep. in us, that phraseology. So it shows that it is in Paul's mind, it is the essence of who and what we are as the church, not only as the church being in Christ, but us as individuals. He lives in me, not just dwelling in the church, but he is in me and I'm in him. Yes, yes. Steve, hold it there. We'll break, come back, continue the conversation. The Conversion of St. Paul, our topic on this, the Feast of the Conversion of St. Paul. My guest, Steve Ray, will be back in just a few minutes. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. With me, Steve Ray, on this feast of the conversion of St. Paul. We're looking at this remarkable moment in the history of Christianity. But don't forget, this conversion was dynamite for the history of the human race. Because the conversion of St. Paul, Saul of Tarsus, into Paul the Apostle, uh, is next to Jesus, probably the single most important figure uh, in the early church. So let's talk a little bit more uh, about this uh, uh, conversion of Paul. In what way, Steve, do you think that his enthusiasm for persecution of the Jesus movement, was that, in a sense, his preparation for the conversion. It looks like we have must have a problem with the phone here. Yeah. Okay. I'll tell you what, uh, Dan, why don't you just make sure we've got the, all the lines uh, connected here, and we'll get back with Steve. Um, you know, he, after, the, after the remarkable experience, uh, he's blinded. St. Paul's blinded for three days and has to be head you know, taken to Damascus by hand to get in there. Uh, and he didn't didn't uh, eat or drink. He spent his time in prayer to God. And then eventually Ananias of Damascus arrives, <laughs> a little a little afraid, in fact. Uh, but he lays his hands on Paul and says, <clears throat> Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus has appeared to you, and uh, he has sent me that you might receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. His sight was restored, he was filled with the Holy Spirit, and the rest is history. Um, the, the full story is kind of given in the book of Acts, uh, but there there are confirming uh, passages in the uh, Pauline epistles as well. And Steve, you back with us? I am. Okay, very good. Um, his enthusiasm for persecution of the Jesus movement did that in some way make him more 
suitable uh, as someone to receive this uh, stunning revelation? Uh, yes, I think so in two ways. Number one is that it makes his conversion all the more powerful when he goes out to preach as a Jew who has found Jesus yep. uh, to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. It makes his witness, I think, much more powerful than he had just been lukewarm and nobody knew him. Right, right. But I think also, uh, I, I'm convinced that he thought he was doing the right thing. Also, yes. when I give talks, I like to say, do you think Paul was wrong? And then they say, uh, Saul of Tarsus, do you think he was wrong? And they say yes, and I say, no, he wasn't. He was right in what he was doing, at least in his own mind, yes. because he was defending Judaism. He right. was defending the temple and the law of Moses. And he had a hero, and his hero's name was Phineas in the book of Numbers, who had gone in to stop the plague by taking a spear and going right through, <laughs> pinning a, a man and his foreign wife, who he was not supposed to have, and a plague had come. And so uh, Phineas stopped it with his sword. So what ends up happening now is Paul thinks he's doing the same thing. He is defending the name of God, and it says that Phineas was zealous for the name of God. And guess what word Paul uses of himself over and over again? Zealous. I was zealous yep. For, yep. for God. And I think he's it's hearkening back to Phineas, who was his saint hero. And he was doing the same thing. He was purifying Israel. This ragtag, uh, motley crew of fishermen, carpenter, and IRS agent with Matthew the tax guy, all these guys, <laughs> you know, even a zealot who was a was fighting against Rome. He's got this ragtag group of 12 guys, and then he gets killed, and he's hung on a cross, and he gets killed on a cross, and and, and Paul says, what, what idiots, we're going to have to stop this movement, it's gaining momentum. So he thought he was doing the right thing, which is why I say, Al, that in a way, nothing happened on the road to Damascus. There was nothing that happened. There was no real conversion, because Saul of Tarsus was going there to defend the name of God and to die for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And after he hit the ground and looked up to the sky, he was still going out to defend <laughs> the God of Israel. It's just he knew it's a new game plan now. He found a hey, wait, we got a new quarterback here. His name's Jesus, and I and I, so now he has to switch to to the new game plan that he just understood. So he's not a convert in a way; he is a fulfilled Jew. Yeah. Yes. Very good. And. Uh, He's blinded by this experience, right? And he has to be led by hand into yeah. Damascus. Um, yep. Tell us about tell us about uh, Ananias and his uh, his role in this whole thing. Yeah, I feel sorry for Ananias <laughs> in a way. I mean, yeah, he's kind of like this very innocent, uh, almost a victim. And I imagine when Jesus comes and knocks on his door, you know, he says, "Hey, uh, Ananias, I got a job for you." Yeah, what is it, Lord? I just escaped from Jerusalem where all the persecution is going on, and I feel a little bit safer up here in, in uh, Damascus. And Jesus says, well, I'm sending a man up here, and you need to go out and lay hands on him. His name is Saul of Tarsus. <laughs> and Ananias says, you want me to lay hands on him? He's coming here to lay hands on me. I just escaped from him. Yep. So yeah, this poor guy, you know, can you imagine in fear and trembling, he goes out to meet this military leader, and he's going to go lay hands on him and say, you you need to uh, be baptized. <laughs> Actually, he didn't say, accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior and ask him into your heart, did he? He says, well, why do you tarry? Arise and be baptized to wash yeah. away your sins. 
so this is really interesting. And, and one thing I also like to think about is that Paul had scales on his eyes. And yeah. when Ananias prayed for him, the scales fell off. Yeah. And I think that's what Paul's thorn in the flesh was. I know there's a bunch of arguments about that, but I think that something happened to his eyes that day. And it says later that he says, see with what large letters I write That's these right. things to you, yeah. because yeah. he can't see. And he says, my my appearance was very, it was obnoxious to the sense that you it made people turn away. I think it was his eyes. And the key, I think, is in Galatians, where he said to the Galatians, I bear you witness that if you could, you would have plucked out your own eyes to give to me. Interesting. Yeah, very good. So I think that possibly that was the beginning of his thorn in the flesh. And, yeah. and in a way, doesn't it sound interesting that a man had to become blind before he could see? Yeah, yeah. And there, there's a poetic justice to it. Um, what what does he do? Uh, Ananias uh, comes to him. How long before he gets into, you know, preaching mode? I think right away. Mm -hmm. Uh, Imagine, first of all, that he comes in uh, and you are going to get a new job, say, and you're going to go into the human resource department and you lay your resume on the desk and the guy says to you at the desk, he says, I want you to know before I go any farther how much you're going to suffer for this company. (laughs) <laughs> what you know? What in the world? I'm I'm going to grab my resume and I'm heading out of that place as quick as I can. Paul, that's what Jesus said to Ananias. I want him to know how much he's going to suffer for my name. And yet Paul, Saul of Tarsus, was willing to take the job. And boy, did he suffer. There's a whole catalog of those in Second Corinthians. But I think that in answer to your question, he started right away because it says that everybody was afraid of him. And they were terrified of him, and he started to preach, and everybody thought he was just doing it as a way to get into the club, a way to sneak in and find out who they all were. In other words, if somebody brings him in and he says, hey, I'm one of you, it's kind of like joining a gang, and all of a sudden you get everybody's name written in your little black book, and then you come back with your soldiers and you get them all. But Barnabas wasn't afraid of him. Barnabas brought him, he went to me and brought him in and said, listen, guys, he really did convert. He really is one of us now followers of the way, followers of the Nazarene. And they then he was preaching so much and being so effective that he was causing problems. And they said, let's close up the gates. We're going to get this guy and we're going to kill him. His first enemies were not the Romans. His first enemies were the Jews. They didn't want him to be continuing what Stephen and the motley crew of Jesus' disciples was doing. Now, here's this guy, a brilliant Pharisee. He's probably a member of the Sanhedrin, or at least represents them. And now he's also falling for this, so we've got to stop him. So they blocked off all the gates to Damascus. And then what his friends did is they, to save his life, they lowered him in a basket down off the field, off the roof of the walls. And by the way, Al, I don't mean to to be as boast here, but when I was doing the filming, I bought a basket and a big rope, <laughs> and I came down that three foot wall right where Paul did. That's great. And uh, right yeah. into the main road, actually, with trucks and cars and everything. And and I heard the guys that were holding the rope that were lowering me down. He says, "I I, I think we should have had a few more guys here." <laughs> You know, I just imagine Saul of Tarsus, it was not easy to be an apostle. And he starts out, how does he start out? By being blinded. And then he starts to preach and they try to kill him and he has to go down a wall. His whole beginning of his new job was quite traumatic. A lot of people would have quit after the first week. 
and his, uh, the Jews were willing to do to him what they had commissioned him to do to other Christians. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. yeah. So I mean, this and was a over violent... time they did. Yeah. yeah. Over time they did. For example, you know, we saw Mel Gibson's movie of Jesus getting flogged, and then Paul had that happen to him five times. He yeah. had four shipwrecks. Yeah. And it, the guy's life was a, one, one torture and punishment and fear and one right after another. He spent two years in prison in uh, Rome and two years in prison in Caesarea. He almost spent half of his life in prison. Some people like to give the impression that somehow Paul kind of went off on his own and, uh, in a sense, was not submissive to anyone. Um, and uh, that's right. not what we see in the Scriptures, though. What what happens uh, as he escapes from uh uh, Damascus. Where well, does he, he go? He becomes a lone ranger Christian and starts in, um, starting his own independent Baptist churches all over the <laughs> Roman Empire. Is what he did. That's what I used to think. Anyway, I used to joke about that. that Peter was the apostle for the Catholics, but us Protestants, we had Saint Paul. Right, right. He's the one that teaches faith alone and all this stuff. Um, but no, not at all. He and, and it's very interesting in Galatians that he said that he went up to the church in Jerusalem, and he met with Peter for two weeks. He said, I don't remember if I met with anyone else or not, but why did he go meet with him? And what did he call him? He called him Cephas. And even when he had a conflict with him later and said, I confronted him to his face, the interesting thing is he does not call him, if he wanted to diss him or to to do away with some of his authority or credibility. He could have said, I went up to see Simon. But what does he say? I went up to see Cephas. That's the same as saying, I went up to see the rock. Right, right. I went up to Jerusalem to see the rock, because that was the name Jesus had given Paul. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, Peter. I mean, Peter, I'm sorry. Because Cephas and Peter are the same words. One's in Aramaic and one's in Greek. They both mean rock. Right, right. So he said, I went up to see the rock. Which is certainly not a um, where he's an antagonist to Peter, where they have their own separate ministries that they're functioning. You know, that's what happens in Christianity today. Everybody starts their own ministry, right. they're going their own way, building their own little empires. But these guys didn't do that. And even at the end, um, when Peter writes, he said, "In our brother Paul," he refers to our brother Paul when in his writings, some of which are hard to understand, even in the writings of our brother Paul. So there was no animosity. Yeah. They had very different personalities. They had very different backgrounds and educations, but right. they worked together to build the kingdom of God. Yeah, I think that's so important to to point out that after his conversion, uh, he doesn't go off, you know, starting his own churches. He goes right to Jerusalem where uh, he, uh, again, is able to see what God has already started. So. Yep. Steve, thanks. Yep. How can people stay in touch well, you're with welcome, you? welcome, Al. Always a pleasure being with you. My website is catholicconvert.com. And by the way, we're back in the air. We're heading to Israel in April and May and a lot of other places. So catholicconvert.com and join us. All right. Thanks so much, Steve. I'm Thank Al Cresta. Al. Be right back. 